HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Heritage on Tour on Heritage Radio Network. Usually, I'm recording from a shipping container in Brooklyn, my own podcast, which is called Speaking Broadly. But today, I'm a guest host on this show. Why? Because I am in Japan, and I want to tell you all about the amazing seasonal ingredients here. What I'm doing here is I'm looking to find the connection between one of my culinary rock stars, Michel Brass from Lyole, France, and Japan, the Japanese seasonal cuisine. I've traveled all the way to Kyushu, which is an island in southern Japan, and with me, I have my guide for the day, and I'd like to introduce you to Shima Pizu. Hi, Shima. Hi, Dana. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you as, as my guide because though I, um, I've eaten a lot of Japanese food and I love Japanese food, you are a local and I'm excited to get your perspective. We visited an incredible restaurant together here in Kokura and the restaurant's called Seto. And the chef is Mr. Seto, so it's an eponymous restaurant. One of the things that struck me about our meal is that everything that we had was local and hyper, hyper seasonal. So let's just start and define the terms here because it's different between Japan and the U.S. What would Mr. Seto consider local? Uh, Mr. Sato would consider local things coming within about a 10 miles range. <laughs> a 10 miles, okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> In the States, we say 100 miles is local. So uh -huh. 10 miles, that's like saying <laughs> that something in Manhattan is not local to Brooklyn and exactly. the reverse, which is kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Or, you know, the Westchester broccoli would be different from the urban uh, city broccoli. Okay. And what about seasonal? How many seasons are there uh, in Japan? So we have basically four seasons. And uh, I think for in terms of cuisine, you would consider we have two seasons in each season, which makes eight seasons. Okay, so double. You've got double, double um, the traditional consideration of U.S. seasons. And when we had our meal... Um, at 
Sato, we had some things that are local specialties. So there are things that were only within the 10 miles. And because Kyushu is uh, an island, there's so much water, water everywhere. So one of the specialties is blowfish. Um, tell me a little bit about blowfish in this area. So the best blowfish is supposed to come from this area because we have the Shimonoseki Strait. And uh, we even have a market only dedicated to blowfish of, in an island off the coast. So that's it. So blowfish and only blowfish in one market. Right. So, and that, that market is something like a 15-minute ferry. So he used to yes, go yes, all right. the time. But then they discontinued the ferry service. Exactly. <laughs> so got, the blowfish got a little bit more difficult to get. Now, when I hear the word blowfish... I think poison and death. Like, I'm going to eat it, and that's going to be the end right. of me. But you know better. Why is blowfish not uh, going to be a challenge in this meal? Because in Japan, uh, an expert with a license has to remove the poison. <laughs> yes, otherwise <laughs> he wouldn't have a business anymore, so for exactly. sure. This is why you feel safe when you go to a restaurant and they serve you blowfish, because you know... The dangerous parts have been removed properly by an expert. Okay, so it seems like there's a little bit of controversy about why the blowfish have, um, why they're toxic, but an expert can remove the toxicity. And I guess there's such a thing as farmed blowfish. Yes, there are, and they are not poisonous, but of course the taste isn't as good as the wild blowfish, so everyone goes for the wild blowfish, right. even though they think maybe some little risk there, but no. <laughs> but of course, right, the wild is, is much more scintillating because of the, the fear, the frisson of maybe something exactly. something scary would happen. So, um, the blowfish that we had, we got served in many different ways. Um, one was served like tempura, and it came with a little white piece of paper that so you could pick it up. So you pick it up by the tail and then chomp into it. Uh, what was in that, that tempura batter? So it was uh, eggs and flour and shiso leaves and ginger. Well, that was so, so good. It was really like Kentucky Fried Chicken, except not at all like Kentucky Fried Chicken. Poor fish being compared to chicken all the time. <laughs> but it would definitely didn't seem like it was going to kill me. Yeah. Um, and then we had it sliced uh, raw, so blowfish sashimi. Um, that probably was the scariest to me. Uh, and is that a traditional way to serve blowfish? Yes, that was a traditional way to serve it, uh, along with grated uh, radish with hot pepper. But what was very special is that he served it with, with a local scallion called the Koto Negi, which you can only find here in Shimonoseki. So those were tiny, like those were the size of, you know, a, a sewing, well, fat sewing needle. Right. Um, and they're, they're so um, bright and sharp and delicious. So, uh, Chef Sato said that if you don't have those exact scallions, mm -hmm. your pleasure of the blowfish is diminished by half. By half. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty extreme. <laughs> I think he's right. <laughs> so the, the next part of the blowfish that we had um, 
was the most challenging to me. So the raw, I feared death. The um, This, which looked sort of like a squished marshmallow folded in <laughs> half and then put on skewers uh-huh. and then uh, grilled very lightly, sort of with indirect heat because it was above the grill. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has the nicer name of milt, but it's actually a sperm sack. <laughs> so... Uh, do you consider that a delicacy? Of course, the finest delicacy you should absolutely have. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was, um, you know, I consider that a great challenge that I don't want to be here and not have the specialty. Uh-huh. So, indeed, it was very light, lightly toasted, and because of its white color and because how it was being cooked over direct heat, the first thing that came to mind is a marshmallow because you. <laughs> don't want to burn and, you know, you don't want it to flame and burn like a marshmallow. So it was very lightly cooked. I found it really hard to pick up with my chopsticks. Why? Because it has a sticky sack and then the (laughs) sticky sack broke and oh my goodness, and then it opens up and it's very milky inside. And um, the I hate to say it, but the best thing about it is that it didn't have a terribly strong flavor. Would you agree, or is my palate just not refined enough to get the flavor of that? No, you're right. I think it's also about enjoying the texture of it, the contrast between the thin skin, slightly burned, and the milk inside. Okay, you're making that sound good. I hope that anyone who's listening takes her point of view because um, to me, I was fighting with the, the skin and then it broke open and then it was really hard to pick up um, and I managed to eat um, I probably managed to eat about half of it uh, and then I felt like I'd conquered it and it's going to be good for a uh, conversation for years well, to come so um, so the blowfish came in three separate courses each of those different ways um, and another specialty of this of the season is bamboo shoots so we walked into the restaurant and the very first thing that I saw on the table were two gigantic bamboo shoots. I, I would not have really known that that's what they were, except I knew it was spring. I knew that it was a specialty of the season because, really, they were the size of my head. Or, if not the size of my head, they were sort of the size of a wrestler's forearm. They were so large. Where do those bamboo shoots come from? So, they come from nearby uh, uh, Oma near Kokura, and uh, famous uh, for their huge bamboo shoot which you saw, which are called the Shirako bamboo shoot, which are the, considered as the finest and also very rare since you find one in 200. Since so you know the, that you cannot grow bamboo shoots. I think that yeah. those are the white ones, yes. right? It's the white bamboo shoots that are very rare. I um, got to go into the bamboo forest mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out that a bamboo forest here is like an apple orchard <laughs> in my home state of New York, uh-huh. where you can go and pick your own. So as I was walking up through the bamboo forest with these beautiful green bamboo trees, um, there I found a family that were on a bamboo shoot hunt Mm -hmm. and there was two little kids and the dad with a big pick and they had found four bamboo shoots together they were a fraction of the size Uh of the ones in the restaurant because i think what happens is in the morning the professionals Uh go and they get the really big ones but then what's left over 
Anyone can go and uh-huh. pick them. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear more about Sato. Hey, this is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the executive director of Heritage Radio Network. And I wanted to say thanks for listening to the only pizza-powered radio station in the entire world. For a decade, HRN has broadcast live from two shipping containers inside Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn, telling the most entertaining and educational stories about food and drink across 35-plus weekly shows. HRN has made it this far thanks to the support of listeners like you. If you like what you hear, show us some love by going to heritageradionetwork.org donate. With your help, HRN will be able to keep the lights on, the mics hot, and the pizza coming for the next 10 years of food radio. Welcome back. This is Dana Callen, and you are listening to a special episode of Heritage on Tour, recorded live in Japan. Another spectacular spring ingredient was little live fish. So after we sat down and we, you know, saw those big bamboo shoots, right next to it, there was a bowl. Now, it looked like a crazy amount of swimming, you know, swimming eyeballs Mm -hmm. because these fish (laughs) are practically translucent. They don't seem to have much body, but Uh they definitely have eyes. And they move (laughs) at quite a rapid Uh rate. What are those little fish called? These are called the shirowo, and they're they're another local specialty that are fished in a river nearby. And the season is ending now. And these little fish, you also eat them live. You, and in a cooking style that's called dancing fish style. So you would just swallow them and have them dancing all their way to your stomach. And that's supposed to be good. <laughs> I don't want to eat dancing fish. <laughs> but they're very small. I suppose they slide down. I, w- I felt uh, very happy that in this case, the dancing fish... Um, the way that we had them, they were in a soup. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they were in a beautiful soup with wakame uh, that was silky and had practically dissolved. Mm-hmm. And uh, white asparagus is also in season here. This gigantic white asparagus that are that was sliced and then um, put into this broth. So you had the asparagus, which if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. Actually, tasted a lot like green asparagus because it had more flavor than I think a lot, a lot of white asparagus had. Um, so that's a little bit crunchy, and then the silky, silky wakame, and then the fish, mm-hmm. which had stopped being translucent and they turned white. Right, and they were a little crunchy when they were cooked. Yeah, transformation. That's cooking, <laughs> <laughs> and that's also spring. I mean, that's uh. the that's the season that we're really here to celebrate. What does spring mean um, in Japan? So in Japan, we say that spring is the season of bitter taste because all the mountain vegetable, the spring vegetable, have this bitter taste in common. And this is because they get rid of the, all the toxin they've accumulated during winter season. So the bitterness, I always think of spring as a time of well, transformation, as you said, but joy because you're going from the, you know, the dark days to all sure. the light. But I don't ever equate light and bitter. And, but now I know why. It's those darn bears. <laughs> it's the- right. So when bears wake up from the hibernation, the first thing they eat are these bitter vegetables. Mm-hmm. 
So they really wake up and go back to their active life. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, so um, it's like a little, it's detoxing the Japanese exactly. style. And um, when you think about the style of cooking here in Kokura, as exemplified by uh, Mr. Sato, uh, how would you describe it compared to other Japanese cuisine that we might know? So I think there is uh, less uh, manipulation of the food, less elaborate than in Kyoto, for example. And Chef Sato mentioned, you know, the carrot and radish being cut into the shape of flowers. He said it doesn't improve the taste. It's maybe even the opposite. <laughs> you shouldn't always. You should always show respect to the produce and prepare them in the simplest way possible in order to get the best out of them. But I think that he, what he said was that it actually it made him sad. He felt bad for these carrots exactly. being tortured into exactly. a flower shape. <laughs> that that's when I really knew that he had not just the talent in his fingers yeah. of a chef, but really he had the soul of a chef. Exactly. He just wanted to honor those ingredients uh, so so much. I have to say that his style of cooking reminds me a lot of some of the very famous chefs. Um, around the world mm -hmm. who pay homage to the simplicity of the ingredients yes. and really don't try to do a whole lot right. to them, like um, Michel Brass in uh, France. I mean, is that something that you see? That, uh, Michel has a very famous dish that also honors um, the herbs and the vegetables of the season? Yes, his signature dish called the gargouillou of young vegetables. So you have like over 60 varieties of vegetables, herbs, flowers, seeds in one plate. And of course, it, the, plate, the dish evolves uh, along the season. So you never have the same combination twice in a lifetime. So it's really about expressing uh, all the beauty of the season, the nature, each uh, at that time. I love that idea. You never have the same plate ever? Mm -hmm. Never. Now, we had 30 different um, mountain vegetables uh, in one small meal. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was mind-boggling. But, but 60, that is an entire other level. Well, thank you so much for talking me through at least a few of the wonderful ingredients that we had today. You could, we could never talk about all of the 30 mountain vegetables. We'd be here all day. Um, but I think that... Anyone who wants to experience, you know, the, the simplicity and the, the purity of cuisine w would be well served to come to Kokura, which is not exactly the center of the culinary universe. Right. But when you have someone who is as dedicated as Mr. Sato is, you realize that if you pay attention, mm -hmm. you can make really great food with love anywhere. Right. Well, thank you, Shima. Thank you for thank coming you, on the, the show today. And thank all of you for listening and being with us in Heritage on the Tour. Uh, if you are interested in knowing more about Milt, you're going to be on your own. But Blowfish, <laughs> I highly recommend it. Have a great day.